Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Hello! Welcome back. I'm Andy Barons, joined as usual by multi-sport fantasy legend Scott Pianowski. Welcome to the Yahoo Fantasy Football Forecast presented by Planters, satisfying your snack cravings for over 100 years. Scott, I have to say, nothing satisfied me. This past weekend, quite like uh, Iowa's win at Minnesota on Friday night, it was, I think, by far the the biggest uh, sporting event, at least in North America this weekend. I can't think of another. Yeah, and we're one game probably closer to getting rid of Jim Harbaugh at Michigan, which is good news. (laughs) Matt Patricia's going to feel great. He's no longer the the whipping post of Michigan coaches because Harbaugh just can't get out of his own way. And I I wrote to Frank Schwab, our colleague, a Wisconsin grad. I'm like, you tell me you sent it in on Wisconsin. (laughs) Is there a home in the NFL for another Harbaugh? Can that happen? I wonder if John would take his call. I wonder if Jim's like, hey, I need a consulting gig. You know, I I could help the special teams. And John's like, "Eh, nah, we're all set. Yeah, I could fix fix this problem (laughs) you have with your quarterback or your offense right now. Nah, I'm all set. I'm all set. Bro. Uh, yeah, that might very well be. Did, did you enjoy the Masters? I hope you enjoyed the Masters. I saw it was won by a gentleman who looks like Kenny Loggins. It's funny you say that because I think Dustin Johnson um, <laughs> looks more like a Gretzky than his fiance, who is a Gretzky. I mean, he, he's become very close with his de facto father-in-law because he actually hasn't gotten married yet. He's been engaged for like he's, a million he's years. He's going to wed a Gretzky? Yes. I didn't know his, that. Uh, Paulina, I, don't know I believe her name him. is Paulina Gretzky, which is one of the great one's daughters. Um, she's been in a relationship with Dustin Johnson for several years. And Wayne, I guess, has been given a lot of credit for helping DJ kind of overcome. He was always a great player, but he's reached new heights since he's been you know, kind of the part of the Gretzky family. And I just look at DJ and he looks like a Gretzky to me. But the only downer of the Masters was that through two rounds, I think at one point, like nine guys were tied for the lead. And the field is so small at the Masters that there's no such thing as a bad leaderboard. But then Johnson was so great on Saturday, he kind of shoved everybody out of the way. And so it, it was more of a coronation on Sunday. He was very briefly kind of uh-huh. nudged into, into a horse race, but then he he put on his foot on the gas and got it, you know, he pushed everybody out of the way. But, you know, let's not forget to tie this back to football. The master did, Masters did a wonderful thing for the Week 10 football season, which is that I there was were no just going to say the same. The first window. Yep. So we had five early games, six late games. And, and I know why they don't do it this way. They want the, the secondary premier games to stand out and almost be like de facto standalone games. But I think from a fantasy perspective, from a DFS perspective, from you know, the game that we do, the life that we're chosen, that that five six one split is is just you know, manna from the gods. This this is why I actually introduced the topic of the Masters because I wanted to get to that. Give me that every week. Give me a whole bunch of late afternoon games because I I can't stand. Maybe it's a phenomenon that's unique to this year. Sometimes if you get like a spotlight game that is really great and pays off, that's that's fine. But man, more often than not, we get these we get these just brutal um nfc east games right like i'm stuck watching a a cowboys team that i don't ever need to see again so i loved it i I absolutely loved the the way the nfl schedule shook out this past weekend you but speaking of the nfc east 
you uh, you wrote about the Giants somewhat favorably in your in your booms and busts feature on Sunday. I'm going to throw out an over under for the win total for the team that eventually clinches that division. If I set it at six and a half games, are you taking are you taking the over on that or the under? I lean over, but what I what I think you should do is uh, after after you've eaten a, a whole jar of, of players peanuts, is go over to bet MGM and try to bet the Giants. To, I, I was kind of in on the football team the last couple of weeks, and it was the yeah. idea was that they had to beat the Giants two weeks ago. They did not do that. And Things set of, up really well. They had the Giants. They had the Lions. Like you're like, okay, you can you can win one of those. One win makes such a difference in that division. Both those games were competitive too. They certainly could have won either one of those games. But about this time last week, it hit me after the Giants took care of business last week. It hit me. This is the Miami Dolphins of 2019. Okay, we have a former Belichick coach. They've changed the culture. They played a bunch of competitive games in the first half of the season that they didn't win. And I think it got people off the scent that this Giants team, they almost beat the Rams. They almost beat the Buccaneers. And I realize you don't get anything for almost wins in the NFL. But this team plays hard. They've had some injuries. They fought back. You know, four straight weeks of Wayne Gallman touchdowns. I know we've talked about him on this show before. I'm not sure if he graduated past 50% rostered. But they remind me so much of the Dolphins last year. Just a really difficult, pesky team that believes in their coach and nobody wants to play right now. A defense, they have a, they have a really good shutdown cornerback who's who's doing some great work. So I, I think the Giants, get over to BetMGM and look at them to win the division. I, I, it might be like plus 300 or so. I think that's a very live ticket. Philadelphia has a difficult schedule going forward. Yeah, so you like them to get to to get to seven wins. It's interesting. Like, there's nobody in that division who, not only is there no one in the division who has a positive point differential, nobody's within a game of getting there. Like, they're all they're all kind of buried already in terms of point differential. But yeah, I would I would agree with some aspects of the Giants. The defense is certainly frisky. They were also, like, they were inside of the end zone on a fi- on a final drive against the Bears. They're one of the many teams that had a chance to beat the Bears uh, in the in the closing seconds and didn't quite do it. So, yeah, they have had a handful of near misses. So not bad, not bad. And I like their head coach struck me at, as having a very high school vibe too. Like uh, he he wasn't doing it for me in the off season, but it, it has been relatively impressive. And again, you know, maybe they're a year behind the Miami trajectory. I mean, look at. It was last year. The whole the whole thing with Miami was that oh, are they tanking for Tua? And then they started to win some games. They ended up getting Tua anyway because you know obviously he got hurt and it it changed his his draft stock. But um, they look like another bet MGM possibilities. Maybe Miami can win the AFC East. They're only a game behind. They do oh um, hell yeah. You know Buffalo's got some tough games ahead. Unfortunately, Miami has already lost head to head to Buffalo, but they'll play again. Um, they have, I think they have at least one Jets game left on the schedule. So Miami's become a really fun team too. Yeah, for most of the season, my, until fairly recently, Miami was actually the only team in that division that had a positive point differential as well. So they're like, they're they're pretty sneaky good. Well, they're not sneaky good anymore because they've, you know, the, they're winning with Tua. They won three in a row with Tua. So they're not sneaking up on anybody. Let's get to what people are here for. People are here for the pickups. That's what we do each week on this particular podcast. Probably cover a few of the the major injuries from week 10. It wasn't... Actually, it wasn't as bad as many weeks have been so far this season. Um, obviously, we have the the most notable injury, Drew Brees, an ugly one, 
multiple fractured ribs, had a collapsed lung, uh, wasn't able to finish the game, came out at halftime, actually led a, uh, a scoring drive with a collapsed lung, which is something, um, reminded me a little bit of the, the Tony Romo game from, I don't know. I don't even know how many years ago that was that Romo walked away from a game with a collapsed lung, but, uh, but I believe finished it up. Drew Locke also had a rib injury, Teddy Bridgewater, an MCL sprain, not clear that he won't be able to play through that. We did learn that Christian McCaffrey, who was pre-injured, he already had a shoulder injury, probably not going to go in week 11. Uh, Jamichael Hasty has broken collarbone. John Brown, um, it's often something with John Brown. He's got an ankle this time. So that's, uh, am I missing anything? Are there any major injuries that uh, that I didn't list there? I don't I don't think so. I think that those are most of the skill position. Yeah, what's unusual issues. about that list is how quarterback-driven it is because the league has done everything you can to protect the quarterback, to not have quarterback injuries. The last thing the league wants, because the quarterbacks are um, you know, usually chiefly among the premier players in the league, the players that they promote, the players who win every MVP award, it feels like they don't want these guys getting hurt. They don't want anybody getting hurt, but they've gone out of their way to make sure quarterbacks don't get hurt. They've legislated quarterback injury out of the game mostly. So it's unusual to see this many hurt. Now, the, the, to be fair, if you're in a standard league, you may already have a backup quarterback. Your waiver wire may have some good options. We'll talk about those guys. What's really difficult, I think, for some of the leagues that we're in, and I realize this does not speak to the majority of fantasy players, but if you play Superflex, I'm, I'm already panicking about what my offers are going to look like Tuesday night because I have a couple right. teams where I don't have that second quarterback, and it's too late to make a trade in a lot of leagues. And uh, you know, we're in one twenty-team league together. Where I know at least one owner doesn't, one manager doesn't have a, a quarterback to start because it's a twenty-team league. So, right. in those deeper formats, this quarterback hunting is going to be very uncomfortable and, and very stressful. But in the more standard leagues, usually you can just kind of pick and choose. You have some options. You're in the grocery store, and there's like four or five different mac and cheeses. You can pick out whatever you want. <laughs> I, I feel like in the superflex world, there's one piece of cheese, and five people are scrambling for it. Yeah, no, it's a good point. If you're, if you're, I mean, the vast majority of fantasy leagues and, and we lose sight of this are like eight teams, 10 teams, maybe 12 teams. Right. But it, but you know, once we hit 12 teams, that accounts for like 95% of all fantasy leagues and, and really in a 10 or a 12 team league, um, you can arguably not draft the position at all, right? You can play the waiver. You can, you can spend all of your early picks on running backs, uh, wide receivers, and you can play the wire and probably juggle, I don't know, three or four of the same name all year based on matchups. Um, and the league will let you do it because it's, it gets kind of foolish to hold a second quarterback in leagues of that size. But, there's a lot of us who also play in uh, 16 team leagues and and greater and obviously super flex formats. And uh, those of us in those formats are going to have to get comfortable with uh, some Jameis Winston bids this week. I want to talk about Winston separate from the rest of the quarterback field. Um, we don't yet know officially that the Saints are going to start Winston in week 11. He was the direct replacement for Drew Brees, obviously, in week 10. I think this was more Sean Payton just sort of being evasive and not necessarily tipping his hand fully uh, until the end of the week. But I, I would expect it to be Winston. I'm going to bid as if um, it's going to be Winston. Let's talk about him as uh, like we we got a we got a limited view of what it would look like for Jameis to drive the Saints offense. He was six for 10, which doesn't seem bad, but he had a couple of couple of ugly misfires. There was a Michael Thomas touchdown that should have been um, and Jameis just missed him, just just sailed the ball over his head. So it wasn't great. It wasn't pretty. 
we we do know that Jameis is coming off a season in which he led the NFL in passing yardage, right? He also led the NFL in interceptions. It's a bit of a roller coaster ride with him. He loves to chuck it deep, which is one thing that I think is really is really going to be interesting about what this offense looks like, assuming it's him at the controls. Breeze has been last in the league in intended air yards per target like the entire year. Less than six air yards per target. Jameis averaged 10.5 last year. Is at the top of the league, right? So like Jameis is more of a, a more of a YOLO quarterback, right? Um, willing to put the ball into traffic, certainly willing to push the ball downfield. Um, so what does that look like? Does does Sean Payton constrain him in any way? The matchup ahead is beautiful. It's about as good as it gets. It's Atlanta. They give up 310 passing yards per week. They give up over eight yards per attempt. Like it is a it is a dream matchup. And even with a smattering of Taysom Hill plays, I feel like I feel like Jameis can put up 300 yards against him. A lot to unpack there. <laughs> I really like, well, first of all, I've missed Jameis. I mean, last season was so fun. Right? Yeah. Because he just, you know, YOLO is the, is the right word. Um, I can use other acronyms that maybe we shouldn't say on this show, but he just doesn't <laughs> care. Right? He just goes out there, I'm throwing it. My guy catches it. The other guy catches it. You know, if it's a pick six, so what? We'll, we'll just reboot. So I've missed Jameis in my life. I do think he's going to be their starter. I know you, you can never really say that 100% certainty because of Sean Payton. We all know that the hill that he will choose to die on is Taysom Hill. And we've known that for a while now. But the schedule is so favorable, not just Atlanta. If this, you know, if Brees doesn't come back for several weeks, which almost looks like a certainty now, the Saints have a bunch of get well. You know, if Michael Thomas is going to be introduced to this season, it's going to happen in the next few weeks when he's just going to a schedule he should feast on. And whenever a quarterback gets hurt in mid-game and somebody comes in, I, I want to be careful. You know, Winston didn't take first-team reps. You know, I, the fact that he looked kind of shaky and rusty is to be expected. Now they can give him the stuff that you do during the week with the first team. And he'll be prepared to play. I'm not going to take much from – I'm not going to, like, grind the tape of what he did in the second half and apply that forward. I, I think that's just a fool's errand. But I believe in Peyton. I still think there's a lot of talent here. I don't really have a great answer of why Michael Thomas is having the year he's had, but you would think now he's presumably healthy. And who knows? Maybe just a different quarterback in his huddle would be a good thing. I mean, I hate to say anything bad about Drew Brees, but maybe at this point, Thomas needs something different just to kind of get him going. So I think this offense is going to be fun, maybe a little bit more mistake-prone because Brees doesn't turn the ball over at all, and we know who Jameis is. But I think this is going to be a fun offense, and I think you're going to want a piece of it, whether it's – you know, the secondary receiver, Sanders, you know, maybe the tight ends can start to get going. We know Kamara's having an outstanding fantasy season, but I'm excited to see what James will do. And I will bid on him in all of my formats. I'm placing pretty aggressive offers for him. Again, like you and I are, are mutually in a couple of uh, super flex leagues. In one of them, I think I have no fab left to spend, so I ain't getting him there. I don't know. Like, is it a is it a push all the chips in moment for you in Superflex? Generally, he gets he gets Atlanta again, assuming that he's the quarterback for like three weeks, four weeks, something like that. Um, I can't imagine a collapsed lung is is like a one week recovery, right? If if it's a month, he gets he gets Atlanta twice in his next three games. To to your point about the schedule, like the schedule is about as good as it can possibly get. And what also raises the urgency, especially in Superflex is that there are teams, you can hear my dog barking in the background, he's a big James Winston fan. Everybody's excited for James, sure. There are teams that have bye weeks all the way through week 13, right? So if you're fighting for a playoff spot, I, I think the Buccaneers are off in week 13, and, and what a shame that is because it seems like their offense finally started clicking where other than Leonard Fournette, any other Tampa Bay player you would have started in week 10 made you happy and, and met your expectations. 
um, and including three receivers. I mean, somehow kept Tom Brady kept three receivers happy, a tight end happy, and uh, a running back. You know, Ronald Jones went crazy, but they don't play in week 13. So in Superflex, you may be in a position where you have to make an uncomfortably aggressive bid that you wouldn't, or, you know, an offer you wouldn't normally have to make because you, maybe you're fighting for a playoff spot. Now, I have a couple of teams that are probably in the inside track for the playoffs. I may be in the position to maybe punt a week or just play the secondary market on some things. There are a couple of teams, a couple of leagues. We don't really talk about defenses here, but I've actually added the Rams defense in a couple of leagues because they have a Jets game not that far away. That's going to be fan, fantasy playoff friendly. So these are very contextual decisions. You know, we made a trade a couple of weeks ago in the league where you needed to trade out of a bye week and you needed somebody who was playing that week. Terry McLaurin wasn't. So you had to, you know, mobilize that particular week so uh, obviously we could we can never provide one size fits all fantasy strategy because it's going to be tailored to what your specific needs are and i think that theme becomes tenfold at this time of year where you have to decide what's my objective is it more important for me to have the best team on the field today and doesn't matter i'll figure out next week next week or do i have the luxury of maybe playing for two or three weeks down the road no it's a good point it's a really good point i'm going to toss out i don't know three more names that i think are probably going to be among the most added at the quarterback position these are going to be like plan b sort of names if you don't uh if you don't fire up Jameis winston if you don't win that bid tua coming off another another relatively impressive game i would say um had a couple of balls that could have been picked but they weren't picked um this is three games three wins he's got five touchdown passes he's not throwing a whole lot his single game high in pass attempts so far is 28 uh some of those games have been a little bit weird in terms of game flow but still this uh, you know we haven't we haven't really seen a 40 attempt game yet i'm, I'm not sure when it's coming Kirk Cousins is going to get Dallas coming up. That's obviously a friendly spot, but he's another guy who is not often allowed to throw it 30 times. So that's that's always a fear. And then uh, and then Alex Smith is uh, he's kind of a thing. He's coming off back to back 300 yard games. It was totally empty yardage this past week. Uh, no touchdowns despite an enormous yardage total. But he's got he's got a couple of friendly matchups coming up as well in Cincinnati and Dallas. How do you how do you sort those three? Even though I think we have to be careful taking Alex Smith's statistics at face value because they were far behind the Giants game the previous week. And then they had an overwhelming snap advantage against Detroit. They ran something like 30 additional plays more than Detroit, in part because they kept getting pass interference calls on Detroit in the second half of that game. And because Alex Smith generally doesn't, you know, you don't think of big pass plays with Alex Smith. You think of him you know, very meticulously matriculating the ball down the field, as Hank Stram, the, the late Hank Stram might have said. So, I want to be careful to not think that Washington all of a sudden is some arid out offense, but they have, they don't have a running game. I don't think they're set up to say, okay, well, let's run it 35 or 40 times. I don't think they have that type of offense. I think they're still trying to figure out exactly what type of player Gibson is. We know McKissick's role is to be a pass catcher. So when you, all the guys you listed, I mean, with Cousins, as great as his matchup is with Dallas, I'm just always afraid that it could be a 19 pass attempt Kirk Cousins game because we know no that's doubt. what the Minnesota yep. coaching staff loves. Maybe Dalvin Cook controls that game. Maybe Dallas gives one up on, on offense or something like that. And Cousins just isn't asked to do a lot. And Miami seems like they want to play that way too, where it's not that they're hiding to us so much, but I can't imagine Miami having a, a game plan with, okay, we're going to throw the ball 40 times. I feel like, the volume is safer with Smith. And even if you're not completely on board with what type of player he is now after all the surgeries, it's wonderful that he's back and, he, and he's healthy and he can play football. And I don't know any human being who was moved by that story. But even if you're suspicious maybe of just how talented he is right now, at least Terry McLaurin might catch a, a ball and house it. 
or we, he has a good tight end in Logan Thomas. Gibson and McKissick can be factors in the passing game. So because I'm going to chase the volume in this case, I think Alex Smith after Winston is the best secondary option. No, I think it's a good call. Also, with uh, I'm I'm right with you, of course, with uh, Jameis at the top of this list. Even though we don't have him officially as the starter against Atlanta, even the possibility that he'll start against Atlanta is enough for me. Let's hit the running back position. Where wow, I what I'm just looking at the, this list of names that I've compiled, and it's pretty rough. But there's a lot of them, so I'm just gonna I'm just gonna whip through it. Okay, Naheem Hines coming off his third multi-touchdown game. Of the season, he was the best part of that Thursday night game. He's actually got a pretty friendly uh, schedule coming up as well. It's Green Bay, it's Tennessee, it's Houston, and then it's Vegas, and it's Houston again. Man, it's it's really friendly. Can't really trust anybody necessarily in that backfield, but uh, he did play over 50% of the snaps, had a good game. Miami, we were talking about him with Tua, Savone Ahmed. I I don't know if he's going to be a one-hit wonder or not, but he's got Denver coming up, and obviously the Raiders just ran all over Denver. If Matt Breida comes back, Breida's probably a thing. Jordan Howard was actually waived on uh, on Monday, so we don't have not that he was much of a threat. He was averaging under two yards per carry, but we don't really have to worry about Jordan Howard anymore. It's pretty much just does Gaskin come back to mess this up, or does Breida come back to to enter the mix? Kalen Balage, another huge workload, twenty three touches, over a hundred total yards. And he's got yet another revenge game coming up against the Jets. We're just tearing through all the old Bellage teams. Speaking of the Jets, the Michael Pirine, there is a sort of widespread assumption that the team is going to start taking a long look at him as a featured runner to see what they have. Uh, Cam Akers and Malcolm Brown both got some run for the Rams in what is now apparently a three-man committee again with uh, Daryl Henderson. Uh, Pianowski favorite Tony Pollard is hanging out there in like 80% of Yahoo leagues. Uh, always getting a little bit of work. Uh, I think it was nine carries for 57 yards in their last game. They got Minnesota coming up. And uh, we should probably mention Wayne Gallman here because he is indeed available in a majority of Yahoo leagues going into a buy. So he can't help you right now. Like that would have to be an ad for, you know, two weeks time. And then we probably have to worry about Devontae Freeman coming back, although I'm not sure we should have to worry about Freeman. Like, why wouldn't they just give it to Gallman? Gallman's been good. He has he has touchdowns in four straight. He's been good at the goal line. He's been fine. Like, I like I understand why they signed Freeman, but I feel like Gallman has done enough to uh, to earn a significant share of the snaps there. Yeah, the long term priority here. And again, it's going to have to depend on what your needs are. Not everybody can play it this way. But Gallman has such a high projectable floor now. He's getting double digit targets, uh, touches every week. He's getting automatic. When they get in close, it's Wayne Gallman time. As you said, touchdowns in four straight games. He actually had two in the win over Philadelphia. And I didn't think Freeman was doing anything special prior. He's on IR, Freeman is, so he can't play for two more weeks anyway. So the minimum you're getting, assuming Gallman can stay healthy, is two more games of a featured role. You just have to wait a week for it. I think Wayne Gallman will be effective the rest of the season. I think we're going to go look back and say, you know, who were like the 10 or 12 pickups that really mattered? And, and, and you know, a couple of them will just seem kind of silly. Wayne Gallman could be one of those guys very easily because they want him. It thinks that he has to share a little bit with Daniel Jones, who was a, a very athletic player and he runs a lot in his own right. But at least if they have a rushing touchdown, I always feel like it's going to be Gallman. So he, I would prioritize him if this week isn't critical to you. Uh, Ahmed is, is a fascinating guy to me because he went to the University of Washington and that's where Gaskin went. They were teammates. Gaskin, teammate, teammate of Miles Gaskin. Gaskin yeah. was a class ahead of Ahmed, but and, and would get a little bit more work when they were actually both priority backs there. Maybe it was seniority. Ahmed had a little bit better efficiency. And it's just kind of funny that 
you know, certain teams seem to be included in the certain conferences or certain coaching staff or certain programs. I guess the Miami scouting department really paid a lot of attention to UW because they got both of these guys and they got them, you know, on the cheap. And then they look like you know, Gaskin was a really useful player for us in the first two months. And if you look at the Washington stats, Ackman had a better resume. It wasn't by a dramatic amount, but I, I think at least until Gaskin comes back, I don't see why Ackman wouldn't be their priority back. So I, I'm going to play him against Denver and, and go after. I, I do have him on some teams already, and I'll make reasonable offers to try to get him this week. You know, the Jets' offense, I, I, I know P. Ryan may be a tough step for some people to take, but Joe Flacco looked really good against the Patriots for whatever that means. Flacco's playing again. Uh, by the way, if you're really screwed at quarterback, as I am in some Superflex leagues, I may have to make the Flacco call. In fact, our, our colleague Tank Williams beat me to the punch on that Monday, the little stealth <laughs> Monday bye week pickup that you can make. He picked up Flacco in a league that we're all in together uh, where I could kind of use some quarterback depth. So it's, you know, the feeling of depression when you don't get Joe Flacco. That's, that's why we play fantasy. <laughs> that's probably like your lowest moment as a yes, fantasy I, manager. I'm not proud yeah. of that. Um, I, in fact, you know, uh, producer Sully, if you wanted to delete everything I'm saying about this, I, I won't have an <laughs> argument. But the Jets did say that they wanted to get a look at P. Ryan. I, I guess they, they figured out they know what Frank Gore can do after his 27-year <laughs> sample. So I think P. Ryan is a good bet to have double-digit touches going forward. Maybe Flacco's got something going. I mean, you know, he has history with Perryman. They were both together on the Ravens. They, they sure showed some chemistry in that Patriot game. So I don't think the Jets' offense is going to be the 10-point shipwreck that it normally is going forward. I think it might actually be upgraded to just kind of lousy as opposed to abominably terrible. So um, P. Ryan, to me, projectable volume. See, the problem with Akers and Brown is this three backs there. And Sean McVay is, is one, of, he's one of those 12, you know, 12 donuts. I want 12 different donuts. Just we talked about that with Frank Reich. I think that's the way the Rams are. They throw to third and fourth receivers. They throw to two different tight ends. They're using three running backs. And McVay, he's a little of that Sean Payton. He wants to remind you he's the smartest guy in the room. So that kind of ruins that backfield for me. I do think Balazs look pretty good. They have so many options there, though. And if you, you pick up Balazs, you're kind of giving yourself a chore. That means you're going to have to grind Chargers injury news the entire week. And most Charger games aren't played. And I'm not sure what time they're playing this week, but usually the Chargers are in the second window. They can just be a nightmare if you're not sure who the actives are or what their plan is. So that makes me a little bit nervous with Balaj. Anyway, the priority guys here, Gallman, if you can wait, Ahmed for this week. And then I feel really good about P. Ryan. I would like to be more proactive about Hines. I just these three running backs there. And I don't think the usage patterns have been consistent with Indianapolis. Yeah. The one thing I'll say about Hines is that he's basically on pace for like 60 receptions. So he has at a minimum, he has the role that we expected him to have, right? That, that sort of high volume receiving role that hasn't necessarily gone away. It's fun that they're willing to use him at the goal line and near the goal line. Like that, that's a good thing. He's generally played about a third of the snaps. Um, on Thursday night, he played over 50% of the snaps. He was obviously really good, but they've made it perfectly clear that it's a it's pretty much a hot hand situation in which uh, Jonathan Taylor almost never has the hot hand. I would sort of agree with you about Wayne Gallman being the one guy who could, uh, I guess I guess I could include P. Ryan in this, but I, I feel like Wayne Gallman is the one guy who has the clearest path to a meaningful rest of season role and and almost everybody else on this list is like a it would be like a one week pickup a two week pickup probably should have mentioned that uh, Austin Eckler is already posting videos of himself working out running sprints right so he's clearly close to getting back by the way same, once Eck- I'm doing the same thing yeah posting <laughs> videos about my own workouts that's why I, I can't wait that to, up there I can't wait to see that are you doing box jumps 
I'm about as athletic as Austin Eckler. I, I, people have, have recognized that for years. So you do it. You're doing that leap out of the pool thing. That's cool. That was by, that was kind of 2019. Way, um, note to any prospective head coaching candidates: get get that resume tidied up and get ready to interview with the Chargers in January because they have a new stadium, a franchise quarterback yeah. on his second going to be his second year of a rookie deal, and a very deep roster. And you're going to be replacing Anthony Lynn, who can't seem to get out of his own way. And it's a media market where there's no pressure. It's a fan base that may not even exist. The Chargers are the the ultimate dream for a coaching candidate. I know. I'm afraid I'm going to lose Joe Brady to the Chargers. I'd, I'd really like to see him as my next Bears head coach. But I don't think the Bears are going to make that move this year. Well, you don't think uh, Bill Lazor, by the time you listen to this, you'll, you'll already know that, that Bill Lazor found a way to get 40 points out of the Bears against the Vikings on Monday Night Football. <laughs> uh, but by the way, you didn't, we didn't talk. We'll get to uh, uh, Jacoby Myers in the receivers segment. We didn't talk about him last week, and I wonder if it might have been because he was tied to the Patriots game on Monday night. We're, we have to record this before the Bears play. Are you optimistic that any sneaky Bears running back is going to be like a hot commodity 12 hours from now? Um, no, not a hot commodity because David Montgomery's out with a concussion, right? I expect David Montgomery to come back. It's not like, you know, R- Ryan Nall is, is kind of a North South guy who like, well, I don't know. We saw him f- find the end zone a couple of weeks ago. Not a particularly splashy play. There's just I, like, I don't think, I don't think Lamar is going to be that guy. There's just, there's just nobody there who, I, you know, and not that David Montgomery has been any great shakes by any, by any means. He's still been an, the same sort of inefficient runner that we saw last season, been a capable receiver. Um, but I, I don't think anybody's, I don't think anybody's running away with his job, but that would, it would really shock me. Is it possible that somebody steps up into, you know, carves out a rotational role? Sure. Uh, but I, I can't imagine a scenario. Plus, the the Bears are another team that has a buy ahead of it, so uh, it, it's not like you know coming off this week we're going to be super anxious to invest in that offense. That I mean, the offense is just a mess. And are you like, petrified? Are you petrified that they're going to make the Jordan Howard call and say, "Hey, old buddy, you know I, your number isn't available, but we could have you back on the team." I got to be honest. I would give it. I would give it like a five percent chance. Like it feels possible. It shouldn't be possible at all. Like they've already been there. He's literally averaged less than two yards per carry this season. But it's not. I wouldn't put it entirely out of the realm of possibility. But you don't, anyway, you don't think because he's great at scoring those one yard touchdowns, you don't. You don't think that's the Jordan <laughs> Howard thing. You think that's all that's holding his efficiency down is uh, he's really only ever productive when he's at the one yard line. Maybe yeah, he's like the Uber driver that can only that can only drive 500 yards. You know, you can take you from your house to your neighbor's house. <laughs> and that's it. Yeah, if it were if it were an injury of a different sort with Montgomery, I might be a little bit more concerned. But uh, but no, not not knowing that it's a concussion, we can expect him back. Um, well, let's talk some Jacoby Myers. Talk. I'm all excited now. Let's talk some Myers. Yeah, I'm ready. I put him at the top of the list for receivers. So let's let's talk Jacoby, who is perhaps not only uh, New England's best wide receiver, he might in fact be their best passer. The dime that he and I'm not even like the dime that he dropped to Rex Burkhead was a beautiful ball. It was a beautiful throw. Might have been the 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 throw of the night. Um, uh, on Sunday night, really appreciated it, and that was that was one week after catching twelve passes on fourteen targets. So uh, he's been plenty impressive. I'm just going to throw out the name Tim Patrick again because I throw him out in every podcast, and you guys continue to not add him. He's still out there in 75% of Yahoo leagues. Got ejected for fighting uh, against uh, against the Raiders. Kids uh, don't hit anybody wearing a helmet. There's no upside there. R- really foolish play. But he still gave us 61 yards before he got kicked out. Marquez Valdez-Scantling is still out there, coming off a 100-yard game, another touchdown. 
Jalen Rager hasn't really popped yet, but uh, he's got 13 targets over his last two games, and he survived the uh, re-arrival of Alshon Jeffrey just fine. Michael Pittman's coming off a big game. He's got 15 targets over his last two. Again, coming off a 100-yard effort. Also had a carry that went for 20-plus yards. Uh, Sammy Watkins coming back into our fantasy lives. He's he's sort of a cheap and easy share of an utterly unstoppable Death Star offense. Jakeem Grant is out there picking up a few targets in the absence of Preston Williams uh, in Miami. If you are pretty desperate in a deep league, uh, Denzel Mims, a hyper-athletic rookie for the Jets. He saw eight targets in week nine. Keelan Cole is still out there, but he's got a murderous matchup coming up against Pittsburgh. I don't know. Sort, sort those out for me, Scott. Who do you like? Yeah, I also want to make sure that um, I'm not missing. Yeah, Brashard Perryman also, if, if you have the, I talked about him earlier in my need to mm-hmm. incorporate Joe Flacco. Uh, he looked pretty good. The last time we saw the Jets, so he might be right there with Mims, although Mims certainly, I think, has more long-term upside. Look, I know the Patriots passing game is hard to believe in, but Myers is getting such an overwhelming market share. The 12-catch game, as you said previously, and then he was the only receiver they included. They do throw their backs a lot, and I get it. And obviously, Cam is you know the, the guy at the goal line where he's going to run it most of the time. But the only receiver on this team capable of having a big game right now is Myers. And in fact, yeah. they gave away. There was a prop on him last week, uh, last night. It was like 39 and a half yards or something. They're just handing out money. I mean, I bet that prop goes up <laughs> 15 or 20 yards this week because he's their featured guy. It's cute that he could throw the touchdown pass. You can never expect that to return again. But the Patriots love collecting former quarterbacks. You know, it, that's why they traded number two for Mohamed Sanu, right? You got to have that yeah. that in your your bag of tricks. They, they've already thrown a couple of Edelman passes this year. I, I believe in Myers and the way I'm dealing with the Nikhil, Nikhil Harry nightmare is I just pretend that Jacoby Myers is Nikhil Harry. And, you know, maybe he was overdrafted in the first round, but at least he's pretty good. You know, he's like, you know, okay, he's like a Darius Slayton good, different type of player. Right. He right. understands how to sit down in the zone. He's a big target. He's got good hands, catches the ball away from his body. So he's my number one guy here. Then I would shade towards MVS. And this is a leap of faith for me because I've never really been an MVS guy. My joke used to be, MVS doesn't really like fantasy and fantasy doesn't really like MVS. We just don't really get along, <laughs> but he's made splash plays two straight weeks. And until we see Lazard come back healthy and there isn't a, a lot of, tar- a lot of action in this passing game, other than Devonte Adams, there's room for a second mouth to feed. We know the circle of trust with Aaron Rodgers is like a phone booth. And there's already three people in it. I mean, you know, it's just really hard to get that guy's cell phone number, let alone seven or eight targets on a Sunday. But I feel like MVS has finally, I'm going to be honest with you, I've been wrong on this before, thinking somebody was finally in the Rogers circle of trust, but I'm going to say it. I think MVS is finally in the circle of trust. Unfortunately for Tim Patrick, I love Denver skill guys. Uh, you know, Cortland Sutton's up for the year, but I love him. I love Fant. Albert O is also hurt. I love him. Judy's going to be a star. Tim Patrick's really great when he plays football, but Drew Locke's not good. Drew Locke is an error-prone, erratic an quarterback. Issue. You know, you can get away with this gunslinger mentality if you're Brett Favre, if you have that type of upside. You can if you're Drew Locke. As soon as the season ends, the Broncos, you know, it's ironic that John Elway was one of the best quarterbacks ever, and he doesn't seem to have any skill in picking out other great quarterbacks other than the one time he took a chance on Peyton Manning's neck, and that worked out. But just about every other decision the Broncos have made in the Elway regime related to quarterbacks has been a flop. So that pushes me off Patrick. I'm not sure he'll be the most targeted guy anyway because Judy's been spreading his wings of late. Myers is my priority ad. I like MVS. I was impressed with what Pittman showed on Thursday. I just get nervous that the Colts' usage week to week isn't always 
repeatable. I, I just don't know what the pattern is, but Pittman looked like a player demanding more targets. And, you know, we've seen oh, some older receivers, T.Y. Hilton, A.J. Green, fall by the wayside. You know, Green's lack of viability in Cincinnati has been to T. Higgins's benefit. He's been one of the late, one of the pickups, late draft picks or, or pickups of the year. T. Higgins, what a great player he is. I feel like T.Y. Hilton might be on the way out and maybe Pittman, certainly draft Pittman next year. But I, I hope that they'll give him something similar to the target share he had the last couple of games because he looks like a really good player. Yeah, I'm with you on Myers at the top of this list. I think that's a pretty easy call. He's been he's just been great these last couple of weeks. It's, it's almost it's almost surprising that it took so long and it took so many injuries for him to for him to see the field because how could he not have looked this much better than than Harry than almost everybody else there when they were in camp? So I think I think Myers is an easy ad. He's he's for me the obvious top of this thing. I'd probably take Pittman over MVS if only because I've got you know like maybe I'm maybe I'm too concerned with the fact that it seems like we see Aaron Rodgers like yelling at MVS every week. I know he's had the I know he's had the splash plays, but there's also always a moment where Aaron Rodgers just sort of dresses him down on the field. I think I don't know if he's fully circle of trust for Rodgers or maybe when you're in his circle of trust, he feels comfortable um just ripping you a new one every game on national television. Um but that happens a lot and Lazard is coming back. So uh and we know that that Lazard and uh and Rodgers have a bit of a connection. I've I've just been been really impressed by Pittman particularly on Thursday night to see him do it with T.Y. Hilton in the game, like you, you could write off the previous game as like, OK, T.Y.'s T.Y.'s hurt. Maybe that's part of this. That's why they're leaning on Pittman. But this is two games in a row in which he's played over 80 percent of the snaps, high volume, uh, made a field flipping play on Thursday night. So I'm pretty into Pittman as a as a possible ad here. So I'd probably go Myers, Pittman, uh, MVS and then Rager. You know, we're, we're pretty much on the same page with this. The one thing I will say about Rager and maybe I'm letting my love of the Giants, which replaced my love of the Washington football team, cloud my thinking. <laughs> but I'm just trying to fade the Eagles so hard right now. And I don't yeah. I think Wentz is Wentz plays Wentz plays every play right now. Like it's the last play of his career. And I love that about him and it worries me about him. And he he runs aggressively in a league where quarterbacks love to slide, run out of bounds. Wentz runs into people and fights for every yard. I admire his competitiveness. I've always been a big Carson Wentz fan, but I just think this is not going to end pretty for the Eagles. They have, they're getting their usage tree, their target tree gets wider and wider every week as people come back. And, you know, I, it was really frustrating to me to see Fulgham not fully involved in week 10. Now, that, that, maybe that bounces back in week 11. I'm just afraid that if you buy a ticket to the Washington, to the, I'm sorry, the Philadelphia passing game with Rager, I'm afraid you're going to be disappointed. Yeah, I was uh, I was actually just before we jumped on the podcast, I was prepping some fearless forecasts this week. And man, the Carson Wentz game log, it's rough. Um, his you talk about a season that's been saved by uh, by some rushing stats that we didn't even have any right to expect. But man, he hasn't you know, he hasn't completed even 60 percent of his passes in any game since week four, which is which is not something that you're accustomed to seeing in the in the contemporary NFL. I'm wondering how much of their championship was Frank Reich being the puppeteer and maybe Doug Peterson getting too much of the credit. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I, I don't know that we have to even wonder anymore. <laughs> I feel like that, that one might be absolutely settled. Let's move to, let's move to tight end. And I don't have any good names for you here. I'm afraid we're flat out out of tight ends. I got nothing for you. We are fresh out. It has been a minefield of a position all year. Kittle is down. Everybody's disappointed. Ertz is down. Only basically only Waller and Kelsey are are doing anything that I even care to talk about. So all I could come up with this week, 
Oh, this is brutal. Uh, Logan Thomas, he's coming off back-to-back games with six targets. If we're kind of into Alex Smith, maybe we can be kind of into Logan Thomas. He's got a matchup coming up with a very tight end friendly Cincinnati defense. That is, you'll recall, the defense that uh, I believe they allowed a couple of touchdowns to Indianapolis tight ends. They allowed a couple of touchdowns to Browns tight ends. Um, They have given up. They've given up scoring plays to tight ends who are not even, you know, alphas, not even not even on rosters in in most fantasy formats. So it's at least a friendly matchup. Dalton Schultz, uh, 15 targets in his last two games. They have not been high quality targets. They will not be high quality targets going forward. Got Minnesota coming up. That's I don't know something. He could at least give you five catches. And uh, I threw Jordan Reed on here. He's heading into a heading into a bye, but he's at least coming off a six target game. We know that George Kittle probably not going to be available for the rest of the season. So there is at least a little bit of a runway for Reed. The tight end position. These are these are terrible names, Scott. I'm sorry. Uh, I'm, yeah. I'm sorry. Um, as much as I'd like to land base into you for not doing your job, there's just nothing to find here. Dan Arnold. Just had four catches for 34 yards, uh, Arizona tight end. That put him as tight end 13 this week. Like I, was joke- <laughs> I was joking that all you need to do to become a top 12 oh tight gosh. end is catch a two-point conversion. And then yeah. you, know, you usually sneak into like the top 15. I mean, you could play a game of hip-hop star or top 12 tight end. Farrow Brown, <laughs> is he a hip-hop star or, or is he Houston's third string tight end? Somebody named Durham Smythe had a touchdown. We're dying for Kaseki anything that we can get in Miami. And, and who does yeah. Tua click with? It's Durham Smythe, Andy. So it's it's tough time for tight ends. Even Richard Rodgers, who I was playing very proactively when the other tight ends were hurt, when Philadelphia got their main guys back, I'm like, well, I guess Richard, Richard Rodgers isn't a thing anymore. And then he throws uh, four for 60 at us when nobody was playing him. Cameron Bright, tight end three last week because he had a touchdown. In fact, I think Bright, if you're totally screwed – what you're usually doing at tight end is, is saying one of two things with the pickups, because any good tight ends long gone in your league, you're saying, can I see 40 to 50 yards reasonable here? That's kind of the Logan Thomas school of success. Or can I see a goal line flip? Can I get lucky with a touchdown? That's kind of the Cameron Bright path that, yeah, he's not going to get seven targets, but maybe one of his targets will be a, a flip at the goal line. So Logan Thomas to me is, is a very good punch. I, he's probably gone in, in the, medium formats and the deeper formats but in the shallow leagues at least he has a role every week um but 66 yards last week you're, you're never going to get 10 targets but you're going to get between four and six targets every week he has three touchdowns so he has a little bit of goal line equity he'd be the first guy i would get and and i think Bray is the long shot for me if you just all all that will make you happy is a touchdown because that's what you're going for with most of these guys i there's just not i don't i don't have a great angle here i i know that Owning Jordan Reed has just been frustrating for the second half of his career because he's been hurt so often. So I'm nervous that Reed off a bye week and maybe maybe Dwelly is even their better tight end anyway. So I, I don't know that Jordan Reed is somebody I'd want to wait a week for. Yeah, I don't want to. I, I don't even want to dig in too too hard on this position because it's just been such a minefield. If you really want to fix it, if you're really in in dire straits at tight end, make a trade. Like there's there's nothing out there for you. Uh, another I, gamble I can't you could stand make any of these because names. Sean McVay loves to show you how smart he is because. Everett was passed by Higby last week. It just makes sense that maybe next week will be a Higby game. I'm sorry, it will be an Everett game. So if you're totally screwed at tight end, you don't have any fab resources to spend. You have to pick up what's left over. I guess I could live with Gerald Everett. Yeah, I couldn't even bring myself to put him on the list because I, I needed him to do something, literally anything this past week, and it didn't happen. And so he's he's dead to me. I can't wait to make the drop tomorrow. It's coming. Speaking of drops, give us, I don't know, give us a drop or two before we leave. 
wow, you, you, you think that's a therapeutic drop even with without an ad? That, that's always my favorite thing to do. It's just to drop <laughs> a player and you don't need to add them. You know, I'm embarrassed at how much I had Adrian Peterson in, in my life. And this is this is maybe really low-hanging fruit, but I see he's 48% rostered in Yahoo. Now that they've committed to Swift, there's just no reason. for Peterson's got no upside. Even if Swift were to get hurt and they said, oh, it's going to be a Peterson game, that's going to mean 15 carries for 43 yards and no touchdown. There's just no upside for him anymore. I think you can let him go. Swift looked good against Washington. That was a that was a great. I mean, it's taken a while. It's taken a good long while for DeAndre Swift to actually step into that role. But uh, but that's been pretty fun. I'm gonna I'm gonna give you two names. These are also relatively low hanging fruit. I feel fantasy wise, but you can safely cut DJ Dallas. Certainly, um, he barely had a role this past week, even without Chris Carson, without Carlos Hyde. Nothing doing. He had not been efficient in his previous two games had not always actually known which direction to go. And it cost uh, Russell Wilson a couple of hits. And that finally cost uh, DJ Dallas's role again, had not been particularly impressive. Alex Collins got most of the work. So you have to figure now that Collins is going to serve as, I don't know, plan C in that backfield. But uh, obviously Chris Carson is coming back at some point, hopefully soon. And uh, I think you can also launch Josh Kelly as well. It's time. If, uh, if you are losing a ton of snaps and all the touches to Kalen Balage, and that's happening two weeks in a row, we know that Eckler's coming back. Eventually, Justin Jackson probably comes back. Like, uh, I don't know that there's going to be much of a role for Kelly at all. I'll give you another drop, too. Uh, a good reason to drop Mark Ingram, other than the fact that he has nothing that he can help you with, is that you will tantalize somebody else in your league to pick him up, and they will waste resources and or a roster spot on Ingram. Yeah. The Ravens don't throw the ball to their running backs, and at the goal line, I think they like Edwards a little bit more, and the upside back there is Dobbins, and of course, the most talented runner they have in the roster is their quarterback, Lamar Jackson. Ingram's on the wrong side of 30. We had a blast last year. He had a lot of really productive years in New Orleans, but it's over now. And they're, they're probably asking themselves a lot of questions on how to fix their offense. I can't imagine any of those answers are, oh, yeah, we need to saddle up to Mark Ingram. Remember, they're down there. their star left tackle, too. I, I think Ingram's yeah. usefulness in Baltimore is, is completely done, and he's still 60% rostered in Yahoo. I know I've talked about it on the pod before, but one of the most, it's I, honestly, it's one of the most amazing things I think I've seen in fantasy is that Baltimore entered week 10 leading the NFL in rushing, right? They're averaging 160 rushing yards per week. That has produced the RB40, the RB42, and the RB53. (laughs) That's what what we're getting out of that. I mean, obviously, Lamar is a big part of that equation. But, man, if they could just, you know, if it were just one featured runner, that guy would be, I don't know, the RB15 overall, something like that. You would normally think, hey, if they're giving us 160 rushing yards per week, they've probably got, like, the RB12 and the RB20, right? But... But no, not even a, not even a top 35 running back for that. If team. we don't make it an injury story, Baltimore is without question the most disappointing fantasy team this season. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't. Uh, yeah, you're, you're right. I mean, we could we could say San Francisco, but that's entirely about injuries. We can say a handful of other teams, but it would entirely be about injuries. Baltimore has been I, I mean, I'm getting like it's hard. It's getting harder and harder to fend them off. I'm, I'm getting complaints about Lamar Jackson, obviously, because Kyler Murray is having the exact season that you expected for Lamar Jackson, um, Mark Andrews, who's probably still going to finish as like a top six tight end because nobody is scoring at the tight end position, but he has like all five of his touchdowns in two games. And he's been, he's been utterly worthless. Dropping and the others, Marquise too. He's had a lot of dropping drops. passes. Yeah. Um, Marquise I don't, Brown. I, I Marquise honestly, Brown I don't, open. Let's get the ball though. I don't, I don't, I really don't blame anybody for dropping anything in that Sunday night game. What a, what a monsoon that was, especially by the end. I thought it was brilliant of Belichick to, to cook up a, 
I mean, he couldn't have rain in the forecast to start the game. That would have seemed fishy. But if, the, if he introduces the rain after the Patriots get the lead, I, I thought just a brilliant move, opening up the retractable roof in Foxborough and, and letting the rain in <laughs> to, to keep Baltimore on the skids. I, you know, what what else do you need to see that he's the, the best coach in the history of team sports, Andy? Oh, what a what a perfect note to end this thing on. If you guys like podcasts such as this one, um, we sure as heck have a lot of them here at Yahoo Sports. Check out the Yahoo Sports NFL pod with Charles Robinson and Therese Paler. Those guys are great. Check out the Yahoo Sports College podcast with Wetzel, with Thamel, with our good friend Pat Forty. Follow the whole crew on Twitter. We're at Yahoo Fantasy. I am at Andy Barons. That right there is at Scott underscore Pianowski. Once more, huge thanks to Planners. Huge thanks to our producer, Sully. Tomorrow, you're going to get some Matt Harmon and some Dalton Del Don. Oh, it's a fantastic combination. They're going to take it over. But until then, we are out. <laughs>